Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheckman. How many times have you experienced some even mild form of depression or anxiety or obsessive fear and wondered how you got that way? It turns out the answer may have as much to do with your ancestry as with your circumstances. Well, today, with things like 23andMe and the vast array of genetic testing and sequencing we can do, we look for every clue to our health, what diseases we carry, what medical dangers we may face. And yet, with all of that information, we still need to fully understand our family history and the trauma of distant ancestors, because that trauma might actually impact our genetics in ways that affect our mental health. We're going to talk about that today with my guest, Mark Wolin. Mark Wolin is the director of the Family Constellation Institute and creator of the Core Language Approach, which shows how the traumas of our parents, grandparents, and great-grandparents can live in our anxious words, fears, and behaviors. It is my pleasure to welcome Mark Wolin here to talk about his new book, It Didn't Start With You, How Inherited Family Trauma Shapes Who We Are and How to End the Cycle. Mark, thanks so much for joining us. Jeff, it's my pleasure to be here. It's great to have you here. How did we first begin, how did science first begin to understand this reality, the idea that this trauma can be passed on genetically and generationally? You know, I, I think it begins a uh, hundred years ago, actually, even though they didn't know it was would affect the genes. But a hundred years ago in embryology, we already knew that we shared the same womb with our grandmother. For, for example, when our grandmother was five months pregnant with our mother, the egg that would one day become us was already in that womb. Now, science has long suspected something like this was happening, but it wasn't until about 10 years ago when the Big Bang happened. There's a rock star neuroscientist named Rachel Yehuda um, out of Mount Sinai Medical Center in New York, and she discovers that Holocaust survivors and their children share the same genetic um, patterns, the, the same trauma symptoms. Specifically, they have uh, low cortisol levels, so the stress hormone cortisol. Uh -huh. And then she links this to another group. She sees that the children, the babies, who were born to pregnant mothers who were at or near the World Trade Center during 9-11 when it was attacked, um, these kids are born with the symptoms of their mothers the mothers who had gone on to develop PTSD, and then war veterans. And, you know, the, the, it obviously keeps continuing. Cambodian children, Rwandan children. The cycle's endless. We're, we don't have that clean hard drive um, that we're born with. I, I wish it were so, but it's not the case. Is the reverse true, and can we understand anything by understanding the reverse, that things like resiliency and strength that carry on generationally in the face of trauma also gets passed on. Absolutely. That's, I, I even talk about that in the book, that we, from traumas, we develop certain strengths. I'll give you an example. Let's say that our parents were from a war-torn country with bombs going off and gunfire, and our parents learned to be very quick-acting very response-oriented. So this pattern of, uh, uh, of being sure-footed, quick-handed, um, can make us strong 
if we're born into similar circumstances, the problem is what happens when we're born into an environment that's safe and our body is hyperactivated? That's where we get into trouble because this hyperactivation can put stress on our body. Of course, it could make us go in different directions into a career, for example, that might be a high-stress career, even though it doesn't play itself out in the daily stressfulness of, of a particular life experience. You got it. That's exactly right. We can, we can go into a... Um, I often believe that we're repeating the trauma cycle um, as a way to bring it to fruition, as a way to bring it to, 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 to end the cycle. So we find these trauma patterns, even if we, even things we knowingly walk into is another opportunity to heal it. Does the cycle ever end to the extent that it is genetic, to the extent that it becomes essentially part of our DNA as these genetic patterns express themselves? Does it ever really end? What we're finding is that when we can make links and when we can practice certain applications like mindfulness or certain visualizations or certain practices, I lay out a bunch of these uh, practices in my book, dozens, that literally create new neural pathways in our brain, what they talk about when they say neuroplasticity, plastic brains, so our brains can change. So absolutely, we can, they're now even saying that we can even change the way our genes express. To what extent should we be working so hard sometimes to try and change that? Because arguably, as we were touching on a few minutes ago, these attitudes sometimes have a positive impact in the life choices that we make. I would say when we have a negative um, consequence of these traumas. For example, we have a um, obsessive compulsive disorder or obsessive thoughts or a panic attack that comes on when we hit a certain milestone. I, I often find that when we hit a certain age or we reach a certain milestone that we can be struck suddenly with a specific um, fear, symptom, feeling, anxiety. I, I once worked with this woman when she reached the milestone of having a new baby. She was fine before that, but now that she's ha- pregnant, She's consumed with anxiety. And so we use some of the questions I put in the book, and we discover that she has this horrific fear that she's going to do something to harm her baby. And I asked her just a simple question, did anyone in your family ever harm a baby? And she said, no. And then she said, oh, my God. My grandmother, when she was a young mother, she started a fire, and the curtains caught, and the house burned down, and she couldn't get her newborn out. And in that minute, she made the link that she had inherited her grandmother's terror of harming her baby, that somehow that lived on in the way the genes expressed. So, yes, when we suffer, it is helpful to look at our family history, to see what these mysteries are about. This is why I wrote the book. Mm-hmm. So for people who struggle with unexplained fear, anxiety, depression, don't know where to turn. To what extent is it better to know or not know what that history might be? Well, if we're affected by something and we don't know, we can sure walk a long road never knowing 
that, that in fact, it, it gets worse. We think that we're the cause. We're the symptom. We're the problem. Many of us say, well, this is just the way I am. I've had this lifelong depression. I was just born that way. Well, it isn't necessarily true. Um, I, 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 I'll give you an example. I once worked with this young woman who was cutting her arms and legs and abdomen um, terribly. The, the cuts would be so deep, and they would get infected, and she would be hospitalized, and the bleeding would be profuse. And I asked her, what do you think about when you cut? And she said, well, well I think that I deserve to die. Uh, and I said, what, what have you done? And she said, well, nothing. I said, have you harmed somebody? She said, no. And then we looked back in her family history, and there was this terrible story, which, was the, which actually stopped her cutting. Her grandmother was driving drunk. Her grandmother was an alcoholic. And she crashed the car into a pole. And her grandfather went through the windshield and got all cut up and died, bleeding to death on the glass. And now... When you put those two things together, you know, the story had relevance for her. It, 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 the blood ran out of her face because she was connecting in that moment how she had been cutting herself the way her grandfather was cut and feeling that she deserved to die, which did not belong to her. It, it, I, I did, the, the plug for the book, which I don't mean to give, <laughs> is it didn't start with her. Literally, this feeling of, I need to die, did not start with her, but when we were able to work through this trauma in her family, it ended with her. What do we understand about how the genetic makeup of this changes generationally, and, and as it goes down two and three and four generations? Well, we now, we now know from certain studies with um, mice and rats, um, the, and, and they share 99% of the genetic makeup as humans. That's why we study them. But these patterns can be carried in the blood, the brain, the sperm, the ova, and we can see that it, it does have a shelf life. For example, um, they took little mice, poor, poor little mice, and shocked them with electric shocks every time they smelled this cherry blossom scent. And so the receptors in the brain that became sensitive to the scent became larger, and the brains changed, and, that, and the sperm changed, and that was passed down to the next generation. But in the third generation, even though the... Here's what was cool about this particular study. The mice in the second and third generation were never shocked. All they did was introduce the smell of the cherry blossoms, and these mice became jittery and panicked. But in answer to your question, what they found is even though the behavior was the same for those next two generations, it did not pass down to the fourth generation. So they could say, ah, traumas are likely to be passed for three, but maybe not beyond that. At least that's how the researchers are thinking right now. It really is a fundamental change, it seems to me, in the way we understand and approach mental illness. I agree. I agree. We're, we're now beginning. This is a new field. We're talking about biological traumas here. That, that There's not a lot of therapy that's been in this direction. Mm -hmm. um, this, this is one of the other reasons why I wrote the book. 
I'd like to generate awareness on in the impact of epigenetics, and I'd like to see the field grow, and I'd like practices like these to be in everybody's hands so we we know what to do when, when we're looking at a biological or an epigenetic trauma that comes from our parents or grandparents or great-grandparents. We, we make the links, that's important, and then we have the tools, and then we can heal. It is essential we make these links. When you talk to geneticists about this, is there a future that they envision, even in, in a kind of brave new world way, where genetic therapy is able to address the impact of this trauma? I think after that study last year in 2015, the lights went on for a lot of researchers. Back to that Rachel Yehuda that I was Mm -hmm. speaking about in New York at Mount Sinai, she finds that the Holocaust survivors and their children, this isn't mice, this isn't rats, this is humans. They share this exact same genetic pattern in the same part, the same region of the same gene, technically the, I think it's called the FKB5 gene that encodes the molecule for stress regulation. I may be messing that part of it up, but she turns on the lights and says, look, humans, we can say this is happening in us. And then when you look at the collective, you look at the world, the children of Rwandans, the children of Cambodians, who've gone through these cat, the Native Americans, African Americans. Now, what's going on in the Mideast, we, we start to look at the children and we can make links that we could not make even just a few years ago. Talk about the mental and physical connection, because the biological impact of this has, has physical manifestations as well as just the psychological manifestations. So, when I work with somebody, I'm very interested in what's peculiar about our symptoms, about our, the way we describe our relationship. The way, and I teach people how to walk through all of this in the book. You'll be your own detective, all that stuff. But I want to know what you say about your life. What you say, that's the core language that you mentioned earlier. What you say about your relationships. What you say about your fears. What you say about your anxieties. This is a breadcrumb trail. When we follow it, when we look at our idiosyncratic fears or our phobias or our OCD or even that woman before who said, I deserve to die, we look at these strange emotional sentences that seem out of context in our life, Jeff, and we follow them back. We see that they, yes, some of them can go into the early childhood, of course, and some of them go beyond that into the family history. And, and those are the links that I'm particularly interested when the emotion, when the depressions that we've been born with, when the anxieties we can't get to the bottom of, when these phobias appear after we get married or these phobias appear. Uh, I, I can tell you about a phobia a woman had. Um, um, it, it, well, not all, it, it, it's, I can tell it on the radio. Maybe I can. We can cut this part out. You tell me. Um, She was afraid of her husband's sperm. And we found out that um, it was the strangest thing. Why would she be afraid of? And she said, if it touches me, I could get pregnant with the wrong baby. Well, what? Right? So we look in her family history, and we see that in Auschwitz, she had an aunt that was impregnated by one of the Nazi guards. And because she was pregnant, she was killed. 
the grandfather, the sister, survived. So how does something like that get encoded in our DNA? It's a mystery, but it, but it seems to have. It also reinforces this kind of Darwinian idea of survival of the fittest because those that, that have the resiliency generationally from the, these traumas are really become a self-selecting population of survivors in many ways. And that's the benefit of looking at these traumas. We, we can see, just like you're saying, that we have a uh, hodgepodge of uh, beyond the tra- the physical traits, the emotional, uh, behavioral, psychological um, tendencies to bring, bring great healing or power into our lives. That's the positive side of looking at traumas. Wow, my family has a very powerful blah, blah, blah because of what we've endured for blah, blah, blah. One can look at genetics nowadays and determine and be predictive about a whole host of diseases. To what extent can genetic information be predictive about these kinds of things? I don't exactly know, and I'd like to know, which is what I'm hoping the book will spur. I'm hoping that a lot of research can shed some light and make and and facilitate new studies so we can have some of these answers. Um, I am assuming that up the road we're going to see some profound impacts um, that, that can affect outcomes here. Of course, the hidden danger in all of this is that it becomes a way in which people can ignore responsibility for their actions in many cases. Each of us is responsible for his or her actions. Mm-hmm. That, that's absolutely true. And there are consequences for our actions. But if we have the peace, you know, we're not throwing ourselves in front of a moving train, we're safe, and we have the peace to look back at what stood behind our parents or grandparents, why our grandfather, the alcoholic gambler, womanizer, what happened to him in the generation before, it it doesn't excuse, but it certainly can explain. And when it explains, it leads us to understand Standing, and that can open the door to compassion, and that can open the door to, to healing and ultimately peace. We're all looking for peace. Mm-hmm. Talk about the, come back to the healing aspect of this and, and the desire that, that you talked about before on the part of a lot of people to, to end this, to find ways to, to put an end to the cycle. To heal, we often need to experience something large. Um, uh, a, a powerful event, um, something po- strong enough to overshadow or override our old habit of feeling bad. And the neuroplasticity um, scientists are saying when we practice that new image, when we focus on it, we literally change our brain. So several of the exercises in this book will do just that. They'll lead you, once you've made this link, once you've found your core language, once you've found how you're connected, some of these exercises will ask you to visualize doing something powerful in your body viscerally that you can feel, and some of the exercises will ask you to have a conversation with one of those grandparents or with your parent in the flesh or with, with a grandparent who died. 
that you're connected with, or here's something said to you, or, and when we visualize what science is now telling us, this is even the work of Rick Hansen, that the same regions of the brain light up, become activated, whether we're visualizing or actually living it. Doesn't matter, our brain doesn't know the difference. When we practice, when we focus, we can heal. We lay down those new neural pathways, and that's the key to healing. And then we can feel better, which is the point. What if we don't have any idea what that past trauma is, that, that relatives either have passed away or we just can't figure out what the original trauma might have been? Does that impact the healing process in any way? No, and I, I address that in the book. Um, it doesn't impact it. In, in fact, we can, by just doing the exercises and charting out what you do know and how, um, you know, if, if mom was shut down, if dad drank, just by getting your core language, their behaviors, we can say, wow, there's a whole behind my mom and the family. We don't talk about it. Now I see why we don't talk about it. It was painful for her. We try to avoid pain. So we can say, I don't know what happened back there, but it was powerful enough to make my mom never talk about it. It was powerful enough to make her critical, powerful enough to make her distant. So it does not impact when we can't make these links. We can still heal. Mark Willen, the book is It Didn't Start With You, How Inherited Family Trauma Shapes Who We Are and How to End the Cycle. Mark, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Jeff, I enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. Thank you. We'll take a break. I'll be right back. Mark, thank you so much. Thank you, Jeff. It was a gas. Great. It's so fun to talk to you. Your questions were really, really good. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. It's a fascinating subject. Thanks for the time. Oh, I loved it. Thanks. Take, take care. Bye. Bye-bye.